Happy anniversary, everybody. <laughs> Anthony, you really had to do that to people to start the show. That's really what you wanted. Everyone is on live from the Bethesda Theater backstage here in ahead of our event tonight. You really had to remind them that today is the day two years ago, 2-2, two, two, that that catastrophe took place. That's what you're taking into Friday? Craig, uh, I wouldn't be a good producer if I didn't let everybody know that today is two, two, two twos anniversary. Not 22? No. Yeah, it's, it's the, the two anniversary of two, two, 22. Yes, sir. Um, man, I will say it is fun to look at how different things are now because that day was just a cataclysmic disaster and i we don't need to relitigate all of that um it is it has been told to me in no uncertain terms that certainly that was well there were are there are some people that are still here now that had something to do with that um it was it was kind of signing off on what dan wanted to do he was he was very involved in all the things that were terrible about that day you know, because, for instance, their social media department put together an awesome collection of historical videos and did a really great job. And had they just launched the thing that way, that probably would have been fine. Uh, instead, they put Doug on the Today Show with no real plan. Their big announcement was preceded by a laundry list of all the crimes they had committed. And, uh, and, and then that they gave us a soundbite that will live on our show forever. I mean, even before I had this show, I was, I made sure that when I did a show, I had the, we are the commanders, ha ha. Two years later, just think back to if we had told you then, don't worry, we know this day is not very fun, but in two years, you will have an owner who is not Dan Snyder, who is thought of as one of the, the bright minds in the sport now in terms of ownership like a guy that people are going to want to work for you'd have an assistant uh general manager from the san francisco 49ers running your team and you're going to have one of the better coaching candidates in the cycle coming to you i know that last part some of you disagree with but we'll get there but this is this is definitely like okay think, think back to where you were then and all the investigations looming and all the things, Anthony, and where we are today, the only thing that's actually still the same is that silly name that most people hate. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it one more time. You're not, you're not as good on the button as I am. I'm not. <laughs> but you're not here to play it, so somebody's got to do it, you know? No. Yeah. I was really more uh, interested in your thoughts than... Um, than than uh Craig Melvin. Doug Williams, but oh. you know what you're gonna yeah. or Craig Melvin's. I mean yeah. I would love to get Craig's thoughts. We have yeah. we have his spouse on the show every once in a while. Yeah. You know that's Lindsay's Arniak's husband, yeah? Mm-hmm. So it is it is definitely a uh a new day. Um where we'll spend a lot of our day today is obviously talking about the new coach, not 
the name. And I, I do think it's kind of the thing where, Anthony, if we didn't have this big news, we'd probably spend the day asking fans on the phones, like, do you want to rebrand? And being told yes 90% of the time. And it is something that is definitely on the table. I mean, Don Van Nata has been with us multiple times from ESPN talking about how, like, he's been told – Um, that is something that will be on the table long-term. Basically, the Harris Ownership Group refuses to take it off the table. The only thing they've taken off the table is going back to the old nickname. But at the end of the day, uh, today is much more about the search for the people that will work for Dan Quinn. Now that we've got the guy that's going to work for Adam Peters and we've got the guy that's going to work for Josh Harris and we're we're layering out, uh, you know, ownership, uh, ownership, done front office done head coach done i think there is this search for the next uh the next great oc and and who's gonna help dan on defense and i think what's happened that's a little bit weird and we'll take some calls on this next and then uh ultimately uh, you'll hear some thoughts from logan about this uh you'll hear kevin burkhart from fox sports later on in the show and then as uh our guys start showing up for the live event here at the bethesda theater we will get some of their thoughts. Like I know Denton Day is here, um, and you know Den, Denton's just here hanging out. Uh, he's not on stage with us tonight. As it's, it's just the host on stage tonight. All what feels like seventy-eight of us between the two stations. Um, but you know we'll put a, Den, a microphone in Denton's face for sure. Uh, and, and then as you know the junks get here, and if, if she in comes, we'll definitely have have Kevin sit down and we'll talk about all this throughout the rest of the show. But I feel like what's happened with Quinn is a little bit silly because. Everyone is like, oh, my God, the hire is so important. The, the OC hire, the this hire, the that hire. And, and it's not that I disagree with it. It's just like, no kidding? Like, obviously, that's really important. You tell me what coach, what head coach, his staff isn't important. I mean, I think one of the flaws of Bill Belichick the last couple of years is his staff has been not very good, especially on the offensive side. Like, yeah, Mac Jones has been a, probably a bigger problem for them. But part of the reason Mac Jones is a problem is he tried to employ, who is it, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia as the offensive coordinators one year, and then he brings back Bill O'Brien, but there's not enough other people around him in New England that that's actually a good offensive staff. And, like, that's a huge problem. I think then you look at the teams that are great, and they're the teams that get rated every year. You know, Kyle's, Kyle's pass game coordinator gets rated every single year, and he's always got another guy. And Clint Kubiak is that next guy, and we'll see if he's the next guy rated and if he becomes the OC here. Um, you know, you look at how many different guys have gone from L.A., and you think eventually it's like, well, can the next guy be as good? How can, how can there possibly be another guy? But they know how to develop coaches. And that coach selection and coach development is essential no matter who the head coach is. And I'd rather, for that specific task, have a guy like Dan Quinn, who's got a very healthy Rolodex, compared to a guy like Mike McDonald, who's worked in one organization his entire life and doesn't have the connections of a guy who's been in the NFL for 20 years. So not to say that there aren't other perks of Mike McDonald, not to say that I wouldn't necessarily even prefer him as a head coach uh, when push came to shove. But I think for this very critical stage, people have like somehow put an undue amount of pressure on Dan Quinn, like this matters more for him than it would for others, when the reality is... As Mike McDonald builds his staff in Seattle and all these other new head coaches build their staffs, and frankly, as Mike McCarthy has to rebuild his defensive staff in Dallas with DQ coming here, um, that's, that's just as important for all of them as it is for Quinn here in Washington. 
Take some of your calls on that next. And obviously, there's there's some names that have come out, including Chip Kelly. Interested? Not? Why? Why not? We'll discuss with you next. 301-230-0980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It is, it is on a Friday live from the Bethesda Theater. The Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Always live on the free odyssey app um taking your calls 301-230-0980 anthony this could be a real test of my add today what i just there's a lot happening like i'm backstage you know people are starting to send text messages about stuff there's just like all kinds of all kinds of stuff that's happening and i i this could be a test that's all i'm saying I don't know that I'm doing great so far. I feel like there's a lot happening. It's early. It's early. It's it a lot early. of anticipation for, you know, tonight's event. I think you're just a little anxious. That's that's all it is. I definitely I definitely am. I'm excited. I'm excited for tonight. This should be a lot of fun. Um, obviously, Bethesda Theater uh, is where we're having our 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 Live event. Uh, it's presented by M Street Bank. Uh I would say go to BethesdaTheater.com for tickets, but I've been telling you guys to do that for two weeks, and I don't think we have any tickets anymore. I think we're sold out. So, sucks to be you if you're not coming. That's kind of how that goes. I know. The boss man just walked by. Can we just raffle those tickets off on the air that you just texted about? Can we just do that? For the highest bidder. I thought this was whole... Can I make more money off of it? No, that's definitely not... That's. I think I signed, I think I signed that I can't do that. Okay. Um, you continue to do whatever you were doing. All right. Uh, I'm going to continue to do my radio show before he gets back off that elevator and fires me. Uh, so here's what we got uh, today. Obviously, we're talking a lot about Dan Quinn and what is next for the commanders in terms of their staffing. Um, I will say this. My initial instinct last night when I saw the report about Chip Kelly was that I thought that was ridiculous. And it sounded very much like a report that uh, that was an agent trying to get his guy a little bit more love. And then I found out that maybe there's a little bit more substance to that report. You start to see it in a couple more places, and you're like, hmm, maybe there is something there. Um, Here is what I am interested in uh, when it comes to the commander's offensive coordinator job. I think that I would like to see a, a coordinator from the Shanahan tree. And obviously, that is not a super original thought. This is the best tree uh, in uh, the best tree in football. But I think it's important to to ultimately understand why this is the best tree in football and why I prepare or prefer that tree compared to going with an outside hire. I will say on the Chip Kelly front, you could do. Definitely worse. I'd prefer Chip Kelly to like, you know, Brian Schottenheimer did a really good job with Mike McCarthy last year in Dallas, but some of these guys that are kind of mediocre OCs that have been around, like I'm not really that interested in chip did go 10 and six his first two years in Philadelphia. And the roster that he was terrible with in San Francisco was a terrible roster. Offensively, they were crapola um, pretty much across the board. Um, So there's that. And I think he had personnel control in Philadelphia, and that was a huge mistake. So here, uh, where he's just the OC, 
and with what he's done with UCLA's offense to kind of modernize it and, and put it, uh, you know, on the uh, make it a little bit more pro friendly. And I think the pro game coming back towards the college game a little bit, all those things make me, I want, I would say not completely cold to Chip Kelly, but lukewarm. Meanwhile, I think the thing you have to understand about the Shanahan McVay tree is those two guys, and it started with Kyle for sure, but those two guys have a level of detail about the game that is unmatched. The reason they are so successful is because they think of freaking everything, and specifically Kyle. All due respect to Sean, who's pretty damn close, and there's a lot of great coaches that do this as well. But like my familiarity with Kyle via Logan is is much more... I'm much more knowledgeable about the way he does it, and obviously we see it around the league in a major way with how many OCs come from that tree and how many head coaches have come from that tree. Kyle demands... Say, say you have a play idea. You have, you're like, oh man, I saw this thing. I think this would work. You bring the play to Kyle. He's going to add it's a route concept. Hey, I think, I think on this side of this formation, we could get this guy open and we could create a big play. He'll go, okay, against what coverage? You're like, ah, it's, it's a great cover three beater. Okay, well, what are our answers against cover two? Uh, okay, go back, get that play out of here. What are, our cover, what are our answers against cover one? What are our answers against quarters, six? Whatever other zone coverages defenses are playing, these amoeba zone match coverages these days. What if they match this guy? What if they're whatever, right? You finally figure out those things. Okay, well, what's the front end look like? Okay, well, what does it look like against this front? What does it look like against how do you protect it here? What if they blitz this guy? Literally every single thing that could happen against this play better be accounted for or it's not going in the playbook. That is how Kyle challenges his coaches, and it's part to like challenge them, but it's also because he wants all of those freaking answers. He doesn't want to go into a, a, a situation where – you know, you call a play because it's third and whatever, and they've always played this coverage, and you think you got them, and they mix it up, and then you're screwed. He wants to make sure his players have answers. And so his coaches better have answers before they give a play to their players. And that level of thoroughness, that level of detail, is why Kyle Shanahan's produced Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur, Bobby Slowick, and hopefully in my my wish list, Clint Kubiak is just the next guy in that lane, and he's coming here to be the OC. That's what I would like. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, working with a young, high-profile quarterback is kind of a new thing. They didn't do it very well with Trey Lance, although there was not really a chance to do it with Trey Lance because of the injuries and the timing. And then all of a sudden they're like, man, this Purdy guy's pretty good. Terrible pun, kind of half intended, kind of just happened. Sorry. Um, but obviously Purdy is a young quarterback and Clint Kubiak's been working with him for two years and, you know, making this thing go in San Francisco. And that the, the title that Clint Kubiak holds is passing game coordinator, which is the exact title that Mike McDaniel held two years ago and Bobby Slowick held the year after that. And then, or I guess three years ago for McDaniels, two years ago for Slowick, and last year for Kubiak. 
that seems like a pretty good position to pull from. The responsibilities of that job seem to very well prepare you to be an offensive coordinator in the National Football League. I also think it's important to note that Slowick and McDaniel hadn't called plays before. And they ultimately get their jobs as OC and head coach in Miami and or Houston and Miami, respectively. And they can do it. They're prepared. Kyle has a way of making sure that his guys are ready. And Sean is very similar. And I think uh, when Andrew Siciliano was on with us, he told us that great story about how, you know, during the preseason, Sean literally just gives up the headset. And he's on it, but he's... He's out there just supervising. He's letting, you know, a defensive head coach or an assistant head coach be the head coach. He's letting a linebackers coach be the defensive coordinator. He's letting, you know, uh, his offensive head coaches, a guy like Zach Taylor way back in the day, call plays and get that experience in the preseason so that they're ready whenever it is that their time ultimately comes. And I think that 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 preparedness, again, the level of detail, the professionalism, understanding the process of how these things get done and get done well prepares these guys for these jobs in a way that a lot of other systems don't. And you see then the same thing happen now in the the grandchild system, if you will. If Kyle's the, well, I guess it's the child, you get the, it, the next generation, whatever that is, right? Kyle, it happens. He gets guys ready. They go on. You know, Sean does the same thing for a guy like Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor makes sure that he demands that same level of excellence in Cincinnati. Brian Callahan, who grew up around the game, and a lot of these guys, I do think it's interesting, or, you know, you're going to call it nepotism, or you just call it they grew up around the game and, and did a good job learning. But Clint Kubiak, whose dad is Gary Kubiak, Brian Callahan, whose dad is Bill, now just got hired as the Tennessee Titans head coach because he was forced to be prepared at an extremely high level by Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. And so these these coaching trees demand excellence. I mean, even Shane Waldron has Dave Canellis in Seattle. Canellis goes to Tampa. Now Canellis head coach in Carolina. Who did Waldron work for? McVay. Like, I don't know that everyone fully understands how wide the branches of this tree go. And I would also say that's another reason why I want to hire from it. Because when ultimate, let's say Clint Kubiak is, is the next guy and he's really the next guy. So like three years from now, we have to deal with the champagne problem that Jaden Daniels is amazing. And Clint Kubiak is the hot young head coach candidate as the commanders are making the NFC title game. And I was like, oh no, we're going we're gonna to lose Clint Kubiak. Three quarters of the league comes from this coaching tree on offense. There's a quarterback's coach, a tight end's coach, hopefully in your building that is ready. But if not, certainly somewhere else in the league who something else goes wrong and they get blown out or out of a job or someone else is ready for a raise. And there's just more options to keep continuity when you go that direction. I would say that is a a bigger concern for a guy like Chip Kelly who kind of does his own thing. I think he's implemented a lot of stuff off of some of those trees. He's done a lot of studying uh, of those trees for sure and brought some of that to the college game. But I do think that the kind of the way that 
this West Coast, Shanahan, McVay tree has evolved, you now have a bunch of different guys who are super prepared everywhere, and they're bringing along coaches at that same stringent level, and they've also kind of evolved and adapted to personnel in a way that there's tweaks on it, and maybe whatever they're running here in Washington, if there isn't an immediate candidate in-house, which I think there will definitely be plans to be, that you can find something similar as these systems evolve and adapt to their personnel around the league. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Uh, Logan played for Dan Quinn, said it's the most fun that he's ever had in his football career. Uh, You'll hear more about Logan Paulson's thoughts on DQ to DC. Next, it's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And now time for a little take command. Uh, Later on in the show, Kevin Burkhart will join us, play-by-play man at Fox Sports. But right now, Logan and I this morning discussing the hiring of Dan Quinn, uh, Logan's favorite head coach he ever played for. Uh, I I think that's safe to say. Uh, Certainly had more fun going to work uh, in Atlanta than he did at any other point in his career. So really great perspective from Logan. Off we go. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Welcome in to Take Command. That is Logan Paulson, fresh off the Senior Bowl. I am Craig Hoffman, fresh off a full day of Dan Quinn coverage. Here we go, day two, Logan. Uh, Dan Quinn, probably, here, here's the funny thing, uh, officially hasn't been announced yet. I'm guessing that is going to be uh, something that happens today. Uh, I've been told by a little bird that perhaps Monday the introductory press conference uh, could happen. So uh, we will obviously be hearing from him eventually, but now we just continue to talk about him. And who better to do it than someone who played for him? Uh, that would be you, sir. Uh, is, is folks watching on YouTube can see the graphic. That's not my name there. That is yours, uh, who played for Dan Quinn back in 2018 with Atlanta and uh, Logan, I mean, I'm just going to give you the floor. Uh, I obviously did a, a full three-hour show yesterday talking about this, and um, I certainly will, will reiterate some of those thoughts on the podcast. But you hear the news. Dan Quinn's the guy. What immediately goes through your head? Yeah, I mean, it feels honestly kind of like a dream a little bit. You know what I mean? Because he's like Adam Peters is a guy that I had a connection with and a guy that I know and a guy that I have a lot of respect for. And then Dan is a guy, again, you bump into guys over your court, over, over your playing career, and you're just like – this guy is a special person. And, um, and I mean that with like the utmost respect in the sense that like, he's just, he's, his, his, his engagement with the players was so high. His care about the players was so high, his ability to kind of motivate and get the most out of the players on a day-to-day basis, I thought was incredible. So I just think it's a tremendous, it's a tremendously like in terms of just like quality human beings who've had success in the NFL, um, you know, I think this is this is pretty fantastic. So I, I'm excited about it, and I know there's some people who, you know, maybe feel differently. But I, I think as we talk through Dan Quinn and what he's done, and you know, my experience with him, I think maybe people feel a little bit differently. So, yeah, I mean, the the early pushback is that it's Ron Rivera 2.0, and I'm not going to be obtuse enough to say I don't understand it on the surface. I just think there are two very different people in two very different situations, and the the short version of it is simply this, like. Dan Quinn is a really good football coach who's being hired to be a football coach. 
And by the way, I think he's a better football coach than Ron Rivera. You know, I don't, we don't need to spend time debating that. And time will tell ultimately uh, in terms of this role. But on, on a bigger structural level, like Ron Rivera was hired in this very silly coach-centric model that Dan Snyder modeled off of other places that didn't actually have that model work. Um, like he thought that's what was going on in, in Seattle and it wasn't, uh, he thought that's what was going on in new England. It was, but it was a huge problem in new England right. and he gave Ron Rivera all this power. And I think Ron very quickly realized like that was a bad idea. Um, and instead of giving it up, he tried to just power on through it. And four years later, here we are. Dan Quinn is hire- being hired to be the football coach. It is not personnel. It is not scouting. It is not any of that stuff, his involvement of that will be that of a coach to say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. These are the holes. This is what I need. His job is going to be to coach. And um, I think that that is really exciting because that also was a downfall of Dan's in Atlanta. Um, he did have some personnel control, was a little bit more involved in those processes. And you talked about uh, when we uh, you know, we're discussing him as a candidate that one of the things that maybe he wishes he had done more was be more involved on the defensive side of the ball down there in Atlanta. And I'm curious kind of what the setup will be for him here. Uh, but ultimately, the the job for him is to coach the football team. And I think that in itself is going to make whoever they hired more successful, and especially a guy like Dan Quinn, who's very, very good at coaching football teams. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think like when you get a talent like Adam Peters, you want to lead on that, like lead on his expertise. And ultimately, like it's going to be Dan's team. And I think that's how it should be. But I do think you have a guy who's excellent identifying talent and understanding how to fit the talent to the scheme. And so I think if Dan can be very clear and Dan will be able to be very clear, he's a great communicator about what he's looking for from a player standpoint. I think Adam's going to be able to go out in free agency and through the draft and find some of those guys. So I think that's why this is an exciting proposition. And I also think like, you know, it's just Ron has a, like a there's a traditional nature to Ron, which I have a lot of respect for. Right. He's he's a player's coach. I think he's a good guy. But there's an energy to Dan that is very unique to Dan. And I say this like not to besmirch Ron, but to just kind of show you how special Dan is. Like I, and I said, I've said this a couple of different places and I'm going to say it here again. Like I never had more fun playing football in my time in the NFL than when I was with him. Obviously, there was position coaches and I had a great time with Kyle, all those different things. But he was a guy that just made it so much fun to go to work. And people say, why is that important? And the guys just gave him more because they enjoyed the process, especially like veterans that had been other places. They'd come there and they would just pour everything into that organization. And I thought like that that comes from him. And he made specific decisions with coaches that um, – you know, like had similar energies and similar passions and it showed up, you know, like coach Ulbrich, he's the, he's the head coach of the senior. He was one of the head coaches of the senior bowl. Like yep. he's a head coaching candidate. He's from this tree. He's from Dan's tree. And you can see in how they run practice, the energy between the two practices was so dramatically different. And that's a point of emphasis for them. And so I felt like the first practice in the morning watching again, we're, we're not talking about the senior bowl. I'm talking about the coaching here was way more productive and way more energetic because the guys were excited to be out on the field and out of practice. And they had done that in three days. And I think, uh, and I think that's the big difference. This is a more, this is a kind of coaching style that I think fits the modern player a little bit better. The younger players, I think Pete, one of the reasons Pete Carroll was so successful because he adopted this style. I remember talking to Kyle about it as well. He's like, you know, this idea of not making it a total grind to come to work and making it enjoyable, adding some games and some competition just to kind of, light like make it a little bit more light in the day Kyle's like I think that's one of the best things I learned from Dan and you know Kyle's a guy that I think we talk about you know kind of with you know uh, very respectful tones because of his 
pedigree in his resume, but for him to be like, this is one thing that I think is so important moving forward, um, I think just shows you the impact that Dan that, that Dan has on people and that, that Dan can have on people. So again, like it's, um, I think like to your point, the, the GM coach division there, I think is going to be huge, but also I think the energy that Dan's going to bring is going to be really exciting. And you know, I'm not saying that this is like, you know, the, Oh, it's done now. Like everything's fine. Everything's perfect. Like the coaching hires are now the next big thing and they've always been a big thing. So we'll see how that process goes, but I'm really excited that Dan is, is here and going to be a part of the commanders moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. I think the other big difference um, between why it's not Rivera 2.0, if you will, is I think Quinn has a reputation for bringing accountability in a way that Rivera did not. Ron talked about accountability a lot, but ultimately we saw it play out. You know, guys like Chase Young never doing what they were supposed to do and it never got fixed. And, you know, if you talk to enough people in the building that there was some, a lot of frustration with that. Some and like other players, coaches, whatever. And it never happened. And uh, Logan, I was debating whether we we're going to use this clip or not, but I, I have a clip because uh, okay. I had I had a, someone else who played for Dan Quinn uh, on my show yesterday. Uh, KJ Wright, Pro Bowl linebacker nice. uh, for the Seattle Seahawks, uh, joined me and talked about uh, what his experience was with Dan. And you're going to hear a lot of what Logan just said at a very different point in Quinn's career. This time, obviously, a younger defensive coordinator when KJ was playing for him and they went to two Super Bowls in Seattle, but also um, kind of that that hard line that he will draw at, in his own way when necessary. First off, he's an awesome human being. He's an awesome person, and um, I love the man. He, he finds out what you're doing off the field, sees how your family's doing, see what you're going through mentally throughout the season. And so he gets that part of, of you just being a human being. And then you just go to the football side. The guy is a solid dude. He's a brilliant mind. When you talk about the personalities that we had in Seattle, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, or Michael Bennett, it's like you need a phenomenal leader to lead a bunch of those guys. And he held everyone to a very high standard, as talented and as good as we were. When we did mess up, Dan Quinn was the guy to address it and to make sure that we not slip. And obviously what you saw, we was the most dominating defense for four years in a row. And so um, just an awesome mind. He knows at the right time when to call a certain coverage, when to dial with a certain blitz, and he can see things before they even happen on the football field. That makes for a perfect coordinator. It makes for a perfect coach. The way he just puts guys in position to be successful. successful. And so um, there's not no Ron Rivera 2.0. Two different personalities at that. And so um, it's going to be really, really different over there with the commanders. So there you go. That's yeah. KJ Wright. And he talks about the accountability, uh, but also all that stuff that you talked about. That's that's so positive. But I think that ability to both be someone's friend, if you will, the, to have that personal relationship, to treat someone like an adult, but also understanding that treating someone like an adult means telling them when they're wrong and holding them accountable and ultimately understanding like this is a business and if you're not going to do the job the way that we ask we'll find someone else to, who will like that's the nfl and that's how you succeed in the nfl no i think that's 100 percent right and i think he said a lot of great stuff there you know and i think just to kind of double click on some of it like his football mind his football acumen is very very high and i think when you look at his evolution as a coach like i think it's very special like there was a period of time where all these guys coming out of seattle all these guys uh, from the cover three tree, the Seattle three, the Seattle six, whatever you want to call that coverage, were really dogmatic about hanging on to it. 
and when I was in Atlanta near the tail end of his time there, he was like, we need to, I, there was, a, I could see it in his eyes, man. We come out to practice, like we need to change this. And so then when he goes to Dallas, like it's almost a completely different defense. The principles are the same, you know, this bend, but don't break, be aggressive in certain spots, find good pass rushers, put those pass rushers in good positions to be successful. But the coverage structures are different. The emphasis is different. And I think like, it's just, again, to KJ's point, the ability to maximize talent. Like I think about, you know, if Micah Parsons, who's obviously one of the best defensive ends in the NFL, if he's here, in Washington last year in kind of this four down, just rush the quarterback. I don't know if he gets to 10 sacks. And that's saying a lot because Micah Parsons is a dynamic pass rusher. When you look at what Dan does for him and freeing up, freeing him up and maximizing the other people in that front, I think it's pretty special. So I definitely think he's a, f- a smart football guy. Um, I think the accountability thing is also interesting. You know, it's going to be a little bit different than, you know, like EB. It's going to be, it's not going to be kind of as, you know, um, aggressive, maybe kind of traditional, but he does a good job of, of kind of holding you to a standard while also walking that line. So again, it's, you know, there's no perfect coach, but I, I, I love Dan. Dan's an excellent human being. I, you know, that's what KJ said. And I, I can't reiterate that enough. Like it is that kind of care and compassion for the players. It gets them to play hard for him. And I think that that, that can't be undervalued. And Again, that cultural element, like as, as a head coach, he's going to, I think he's going to be doing less X's and O's, but that cultural element is really why you're bringing that guy in here. And I think you're going to get 53 guys who want to come to work and want to be the best versions of themselves. And I think that's the other thing that I haven't really said before, but it's like when I was in Atlanta, he was fostering this, this, this intense growth with the players. He was encouraging you every day to kind of find something new. And so guys on their own, players on their own would stay after practice and work on stuff independent of coaches. And I thought like, that's, you don't really see that everywhere. You don't really see that around the NFL, like certain guys will do it, but they get a whole position group to stay and be player led. Again, he, he's a special guy. And again, we, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to happen in this process to make sure that, you know, the commanders are successful this year. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I totally agree with, with the majority of what KJ said. Yeah, so I, I, a couple of questions that I want to tackle here. Um, I want to get to what he does with this roster in a second because I'm pretty intrigued by some of the pieces and how they fit in kind of the traditional Quinn mold. But you talked uh, a month ago when we were, were talking about Quinn as a, as a candidate about him calling you. That yeah. after uh, he got fired in Atlanta, he made many calls, one of which was to you to basically ask, hey, if I do this again, what do I have to do differently? What went wrong in your eyes? He, he fielded feedback. What feedback uh, did you give him? And what do you think that he heard that he's got to do differently? Because at the end of the day, I can hear fans screaming, listening to stuff, being like, it's great. All this stuff sounds great. But then why was he 43 and 42? Why was he 0 and 5 in his last season? Why did he get fired? Like, ultimately, yeah, yeah you, were, you went to a Super Bowl, which turned into being the biggest blown lead in Super Bowl history. Why am I supposed to get excited about this guy if, if that's who he is? So how does he change to make it better than it was in Atlanta on the record side of it, which is ultimately the job? You know, all this all this stuff is good and it's important, but the job is to win. And so how does like what's the feedback you gave him? and What do you think others told him to ensure that that he's more successful this time around? Yeah, so I think a couple things there. Like, first off, it's hard to get to the Super Bowl, right? Not a lot of teams yeah. do that. So good Look, for to him. blow a twenty-eight-three lead, you got to be up twenty-eight-three in the Super Bowl, yeah. and that's a that's a rare thing. And you you know you lose to Tom Brady, whatever. You know that's a tough yeah. deal. Um, I also think that like there's a couple of factors there. It's not just I think people like they put so much onus on the coach, and we'll get to my advice that I gave him in a second. But like they put so much on, onus on the head coach. But I think when you look at 
what happened after that 28-3 lead, like Kyle Shanahan leaves. And I, I give I give Dan a ton of credit. He was a, instrumental in that hire, was a big part of that hire. And in terms of identifying talent, and we've talked about the importance of offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. And so at around the same time, he is relinquishing defensive play calling duty. Kyle leaves. So essentially you're losing two coordinators, right? And I think that's a huge effect. I also think, you know, Matt Ryan's getting older. They had just paid Matt Ryan a ton of money. We always talk about the quarterback and how you have to, um, you know, you have to invest in that position, but how once you've invested, the roster starts to deteriorate. Also, I think it's interesting that they had some guys that played really, really well in that season. What season was that? Was that 2016, 15, 2015, whatever that was? Yeah, 15 was the year Ryan won MVP, so 15-16. You know, yeah, 15-16. 2016 yeah. is when the Super Bowl is. Yeah, so you know they had some guys that played really well that year that regressed hardcore and weren't quite the same players. Like Vic Beasley's a guy that comes to mind. So it's not just Dan in a bubble, I don't think. I think I think people forget right. that. It's you're losing two coordinators. You've got this huge kind of albatross of a contract. I, I, Matt deserved to get paid. Julio deserved to get paid. But when you pay people like that, it limits who you can bring in to support them. And I think uh, it became really – like I remember going in – it was such a unique experience going to Atlanta for training camp because they had their – 20 guys that were going to make the team and everybody else was a rookie, like basically. And so it's hard to win football games like that. And that those are personnel decisions. And hopefully, you know, Adam Peters can have the foresight to kind of keep them out of those, those situations. Like Dimitrov, I love Dimitrov. He was an awesome human being. But again, I think if you were to ask Dimitrov, that's some things you'd like to do differently as well, too. And then, you know, I think to uh, to my advice now and, and advice that I've heard other people give him. Yeah, real like, quick, just pa to put a yeah, pause yeah. and a pin in yeah. that. Like that to me is one of the most important things is that, you know, a lot of the stuff, like you look at what happened to Vrabel in Tennessee. Yeah, it's and I think thing. there's there's a lot of similarities to Quinn in Atlanta. And I think Dan had a part from talking to some folks down in Atlanta is like Dan had a say in some of those bad decisions on the roster and, and where some of the investment was made and where he thought maybe he could cover holes. And I think Adam Peters is not going to necessarily, like obviously he will take Dan's input, but we know that it is Peter's show on the personnel side here. And so that automatically takes that off of his plate. And Dan hopefully learns from those mistakes. And if he has faced with similar challenges again, his input's probably going to be a little different. So I, I look at those things as long as he has the humility to learn as positives this time around, even if they were negatives in Atlanta. Yeah. And I think, uh, and so, yeah. And I think to your point, like what, you know, what have people told him? Like, I think, uh, one of the things that I told him was like, hey, just make sure you got the right people like in those coordinator spots and at the O-line coaching spots and, and with the tight end room. Like make sure those coaches are guys that you trust emphatically to get the job done. Because I felt like in uh, I was there in 18, kind of transitioning to 19, I could see him trying to stretch himself too thin to kind of kind of cover all these bases. Because he not that he was losing trust, but he just wasn't getting what he needed always from the coordinators, you know, and I think uh, like I have a lot of respect for Sark. I have a lot of respect for, uh, gosh, I forget the guy in 2019. Awesome guy. Very, very you know, uh, good dude. Dirk Cutter. Dirk Cutter, you know, uh, but I think there was a, there was a little bit of a drop off and it was like, he, I could just being around him. I felt like it was slipping away from him. So I said, just make sure that, you know, th those guys are, are getting what you want done. And, uh, cause I think his superpower is, is building that culture, building relationships. And obviously defensively, he's a, he's a really bright dude. But at the time, he wasn't doing that for Atlanta, right? He had kind of shifted into a more managerial role. So I'm like, if you're going to do that, make sure those guys are excellent. And I th and I really believe, I, I really believe he's a guy that, and that's another thing I have, a, I have the utmost respect for him in this regard. 
He is always humble and he's always trying to learn. He's always trying to better himself. And so I do think he's a, like fans are like, well, now we got to hire an offensive coordinator. There, there is no doubt in my mind that Dan is fully aware of how important that hire is. He understands emphatically how important that is. And so like, he's going to treat this like with the respect that it deserves, I believe. And I think that that's ultimately a good thing to have someone with that kind of awareness. And, you know, I've talked to other people who, who he was on calls with and, and just how receptive he was to their feedback as well, I think was also fantastic. So again, I'm, I have, I have confidence that, that this is, this is going to work better because he is a guy that is constantly learning and constantly improving himself. And, and people say, well, like, you know, that's just words, but I say, look at what happened in Dallas. Look at how he changed. Look at how the defense changed. Look at how he evolved. Look at, you know what I'm saying? And I think those things are, are incredibly important just to be aware of like there, there's a historical context here to his career that is different than the comparison in Ron, I think. And I think that's the thing that really sticks out to me about this hire and about this relationship with Adam Peters that makes this so different. Like he's, he's learned, he's better, and I think we're going to have a better result here in Washington. All right, that was Take Command, which uh, you can hear the rest of, including the rest of our conversation about the – Potential coaching hires uh, now. It's it's out. Uh, you can check it out whenever you get the chance. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to us, uh, we'd, we'd like you to stick with the radio show. But, you know, definitely check out Take Command whenever it is that you get the opportunity. Uh, as for where we go from here on this radio show, you will hear from Fox Sports' Kevin Burkhart coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, and we are, of course, live, as you can see, backstage at the Bethesda Theater ahead of 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 live tonight. So we will have some of our friends stop by as they get here for a couple of thoughts uh, on the air before we turn off all of the uh, transmitting devices and ultimately go off air, on stage, uncensored, coming up starting at 8 p.m. That doesn't really help you if you don't got a ticket. Uh, Sold out, we tried to tell you, uh, but I look forward to the uh, few hundred of you who did get those tickets and are on their way down here to the Bethesda Theater. Uh, Kevin Burkhart, though, next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app.